Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Free Coffee, a journey through the internet on the LearnPod Network. This is a podcast about 5G. Without the tinfoil, we're going to talk about what is 5G, what's going on now, what's going on for the future, um, the internet of things, what that means for for jobs in the future, for AI. We got some great guests on today's show and they give us a lot of insight and they overall made me optimistic about 5G. So I think I'm going to keep the tinfoil hat away and we're going to start off with Liam. Let's clear something up before we move any further. 5G is the fifth generation of cellular technology, which is boasting speeds up to 10 gigabits a second, although not fully in practice yet. There's three wavelengths that are out there. Millimeter seems to be the most controversial one. Um, Some other concerns with 5G without the tinfoil is the security concerns with the manufacturers of hardware. So we're going to explore all these things um, and hopefully come to a conclusion at the end of what we're going to do. Are we going to purchase 5G phones or are we going to get rid of 5G and move straight to 6? What's what's next? Oh, and before I forget, Blaze Explains is the newest podcast on the LearnPod Network. Go check it out. Blaze Explains, B-L-A-I-S-E Explains. And uh, without further ado, I would like to introduce to you Liam. Hi, I'm Liam. I'm one third of the Let's Talk About Nothing podcast, and I've been working within the telecommunications industry for going on about 12 years now. So I used to work directly for a network here in the UK called EE. And then I, I recently, a few years ago, moved over to a, a major uh, phone manufacturing brand. So my job, my role basically is to go into the stores and educate those people, train them, make sure the sales are good, audit them. But also 5G is such a key part of our strategy this year, going from last year as well, that it's really kind of become a big area of, of where we're trying to push. It's an interesting subject, you know, because I've been in, I've been working with around that sort of industry for so long now, and it's for me, it's nothing but exciting. So when people are coming out and getting really like worried and stressed out about it, I, I, I really had to take some looking into why. I never quite understood why we were getting so worked up about it. So to see see some of the tinfoil hat theories that are kind of coming around, it's it's, it's a bit crazy. When someone asks, what is 5G, what, what do you tell them? What's your response? Okay. I mean, for me, the simplest way is everyone, if you think about how signals developed and how your mobile phone gets, gets signal to the device. So we've had 2G, 3G, 4G, and with 3G and 4G, that's where we really started to hit the internet sort of age within our devices. And 5G is just the next step of that. Whereas 2G technology back in the day was just for calls and a little bit of text messaging. 5G is all about getting that absolute speed. And it's faster, it's got more capacity, and pretty much zero latency. So speed is great, but I've heard mixed reviews with the connectivity of 5G. One person told me if it's raining, you won't get any reception. And I've heard other comments of that the signal is stronger when they're around buildings because the signal gets to bounce around a little bit. So are, are these right? Should I be worried in the rain? Or what's, what's the connectivity really like with 5G? Mm. It's not right, but it's also not wrong. So first of all, I mean, on the rain issue, a big area that I cover is around the Manchester area and it's pretty much always raining there. So the rain certainly won't affect it. 
And the way to think about it and the way I try to explain it to like my guys in stores and my clients is that if you think about sound waves and you think of a low end bass note and you, that's your 4G. So it's, it reaches really, really far and you can hear it. I think you can hear it through walls. Whereas high pitch, if you look at how that works on like a, on a spectrum, for example, it's, it doesn't reach anywhere near as far, but the, the wavelength is huge compared. And that's kind of the difference with 4G and 5G. So you're absolutely right that it doesn't reach as far as 4G signal would do, but to build the 5G infrastructure, then you need to create more masts. So it's here where I think people actually start to build their cases for um, their fear and their hesitancy to switch over to 5G is the fact that there will be a lot more cellular towers. So if you already think these signals are bad for you, then you're just going to think this is way worse for you. The thing is, they're not that bad for you. This is been something I've been kind of scratching my head quite a bit around because, as I say, from being within the industry, everything's always everything's always painted as rosy. And I truly believe that this is the next big thing. So I, I never quite understood where the worries come from because I remember back when 4G came around, there didn't seem to be this sort of worry back then and so I do truly think it all become it all stems from the power that 5G is going to put out there the speeds that we're going to get there are people that will naturally think okay well that's think back a few years ago when mobile phones came around and people were worried about using them in the first place because they were holding them next to our ears next to our heads and we were getting radiation coming straight through to them people thought that was going to cause problems extrapolate that now to the difference is, is huge in terms of what we're going to be holding in our pockets and holding in our hands add that to the fact that we're going to have a load more towers dotted around I really think that's the only place that people are worried about I read theories online that people are worried about 5G being weaponized and 5G you know being used as a tool by the government or whoever and so that's that's kind of their own sector. They're the, probably the people that think common trails are being weaponized. People will always fear the unknown, and people will always have a natural distrust to something that they don't understand. And a lot of it is just people being educated around any subject, no matter what it is, whether it's five G, coronavirus, or whatever. And so, I, I personally, I think it's more the health concerns. I certainly haven't heard much in the UK around the the real conspiracy stuff around it being weaponized or it being government you the government using it to to hack people or whatever it is. I think it's purely based around health, which is you know what I've got I can't really argue with someone too much if they're worried about their own health or someone else's health, but they don't need to worry. Rational thinkers one, conspiracy thinkers zero. But what do you think is the biggest misconception besides the conspiracy theories about 5G? So the biggest misconception that I find with, with, with anyone really is that people assume 5G is purely about speed. And you know what? Speed is great. No one wants to wait for anything anymore, myself included. However, the biggest eye-opener for me around 5G was actually around the capacity of it. So have you ever been to a a concert or a a football match, for example, or, you know, even just an airport. So I went to the airport last year and half an hour left before my flight. I'm sat in the, in the waiting area and I think, oh shit, 
I've not downloaded anything on my tablet to to read or whatever. I um I'm into I'm into comic books. I mean, I really like Batman, Batman comic books. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll download one of those. And it's megabytes. It's it's not a huge book by any means, but because there were so many people around me. I just, it just would not download. It was taking ages. I had full 4G signal, but it just would not download. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? But this is where the biggest difference for me and the thing that a lot of people don't take into account is that the capacity of 5G is huge compared to 4G. So if 4G, for example, got one person's signal per square meter, 5G would get a thousand people's signal at consistent speeds as the, as the as you would expect from 5g no more bottlenecking guys no more failure to send texts at a concert at a football match that is if we have public events out of this lockdown that we're in right now um but 5g will implement the internet of things because of this capacity the low latency everything's going to be connected and our our world's going to drastically change that's this is it this is it this is the future so it's funny that you mentioned earlier on around self-driving cars because that's something I'm I'm really excited for around 5G. And part of that, that all comes down to the latency or lack of latency, really. So we're going to go from around 200 milliseconds of latency with 4G to one millisecond with 5G. So a millisecond, for those that don't know, is one one-thousandth of a second. So put it in perspective... The average human reaction time is 250 milliseconds, so about a quarter of a second. So we think about self-driving cars. Imagine a car that could react 250 times as fast as you could. So you're driving along the road at 60 miles an hour. The reaction distance there is about 30 meters before you pull on the brakes. So you've seen an accident. It takes the human roughly about 30 meters before you actually hit the brakes because that's how lost how how fast the visual stimuli hits your brain making sense so far so with a one millisecond reaction time that car would have only rolled a little bit more than one inch less than three centimeters before it's hit the brakes so that di- that that difference is going to open so many opportunities even in the sense that it's being really looked at or looked into rather within the medical world if, for example, there was a surgeon in China, just don't know why China, in China, and they needed to perform surgery urgently on a patient in the UK. So they couldn't get the flight over there. Now, I appreciate this, this technology here that still needs work doing to it. But in theory, if, if we get to the point where we can create an autonomous, well, not autonomous, but a fully controllable robot surgeon, that doctor could control that that robot in real time because there's no latency. So latency, if if anyone doesn't know, it's just all about the how fast the information can travel. So yeah, so there's there's no gap between what he's seeing and what he's touching at either end. But then if you think if we take it even further, and one okay, that is actually a little bit scary. We've all been on on the internet and seen an advert that's directed to yourself because of what you've been on because of cookies, whatever website you've been on, there's then going to be an advert for a similar sort of item on Facebook or on Google or whatever, whatever you're using. The way the internet of things is going to work. So like you said earlier on, we can talk to, 
toasters to talk to our phones, talk to our speakers and get everything connected. In theory, what, what the supposed plans are with that is that you could have tailored adverts as you walk down the street. So if you have a digital billboard, as one per, say one person walks past that, that advert could instantly change to something directed for you. And then as the next person walks past, it would change again to them. I appreciate that. I get this a little bit fuddled when there's hundreds of people walking past it, but it could be that instantaneous and that's what the level that they want to get to with 5G. Guess what, guys? We're living in the future. That's right. Advertising, getting smarter, ready to send out a holographic advertising through windows in your face for whatever you clicked like on on Instagram 20 minutes earlier. I'm into it. How much does it cost? What do I have to spend to get into the 5G world? Um, well, now you've got the, you could get the A90, which is, so that's what it's saying. So they've, they've brought out the A90, which is like kind of like a high mid device, but it's 5G enabled. So not too much more than what you're already spending. It's probably about that's sub 600 quid. Okay. If you yeah, wanted the top, top end, the ultras around 13, 1400. Okay. We have some options. Um, so what are your general, I guess, just advice and, and words on 5G for the, my audience? From a health point of view, you've got nothing to worry about. The power that 5G has because it's so much more efficient than 4G, as I say, it gives off less radiation than a 4G mass would do anyway. Even though there's more towers, that's just to make you better connected. And hyperfast 5G, the way to think about it, is gonna give you faster upload and download speeds, meaning that you're always connected in real time. It's just gonna make your life way more convenient. You've got nothing to worry about. So that was Liam, someone with boots on the ground, talking day to day with customers about 5G and has experience, vast experience in the telecommunications industry. Next up, we're talking to Ben Wood, who's the chief analyst at CCS Insight and also curates the Phone Museum, which I'll provide links to all this in the show notes. So check them out. And I will also link a video of Ben Wood roaming around the UK using 5G because I just think it's a fun video and you can see real use of the, the network. So uh, here's Ben. Okay, so uh, hi everyone. My name is Ben Wood. Uh, I have been in the mobile industry for over 20 years. Uh, currently, I'm the chief of research at uh, the firm CCS Insight and we provide insights and advice to a huge number of well-known names in the industry. Uh, prior to that, I've done a load of cool stuff in the mobile industry. Um, I worked as an analyst at the firm Gartner. Uh, I had a startup with a friend of mine uh, called Mobile Streams, uh, which floated on AIM eventually. And we uh, owned ringtones.com and lived that whole exciting journey of content on mobile phones in the early days. Uh, worked with Lucent Technology, selling 2.5G GPRS networks and 3G, and uh, started my career at Vodafone, where I was on the team that launched mobile data and text messaging, which is where a lot of what we use today started. Um, before Vodafone, what, what, what got you into the door uh, at Vodafone? Like what were you doing before that? 
That's a, a great question. I, um, my father was in um, the furniture industry, uh, office furniture industry, working with great designers like Charles Eames and other people uh, for, for a company called Herman Miller. So I got an appreciation of nice things and how things are made. Um, but I didn't have a technological background or a technology background. I um, went to university. I did a business and marketing degree, uh, but I had the good fortune to spend a year working as part of an internship uh, with Texas Instruments down in the south of France. And that really uh, gave me a spark in terms of uh, seeing some of the early days of technology. You know, getting, getting an email address in uh, 1993 was quite a big deal. Um, and then um, when I needed to find a job, the honest truth is I just applied to any company where I recognized the name and ended up working for a funny little company in Newbury called Vodafone, who did these mobile phone things, which uh, went on to be a business that now sells, well, this year, about 1.5 billion mobile phones this year, which is over 40 phones a second. So 5G is just the latest evolution of technology uh, for, for cellular phones, all the way from you know 1G, which is a very basic analog service. We went to digital with 2G. Uh, then we introduced um, 3G, which was a... Uh, a step change um, for, for, for the industry, uh, took us to faster speeds, but 4G kind of consolidated that. What 5G brings you is uh, much more efficient use of the network. So the ability to have a very, very efficient radio interface between the mobile phone and the tower. Uh, so you can get much more bits and bytes of data back and forth from the network compared to a 4G network. And if you think about it like a highway, um, you'll think you're going from a one-lane highway to a 10-lane highway. That's the impact that this can have. Um, and, and that's probably the easiest way to describe it. Add to that some of the other things, like when we get to standalone networks, which is the next phase of 5G deployment, uh, you'll have better end-to-end -end performance. And that means that we'll see lower latency. So when you start to have to do you know, applications like self-driving cars, which I think are still a long, long way away, but um, you know, split-second in fact, millisecond decisions where you're talking about the tiniest amount of time or for, you know, for gamers who, uh, you know, the speed with which you can hit the trigger on a gamepad and how quickly you can transmit that through the network, latency becomes important. But right now, 5G is delivering fantastic capacity and therefore uh, a lot more bandwidth as well. So, Ben, you're a tech journalist. You've been around the cell phone industry for a long time. You're the curator of the Phone Museum, which is such a really cool project. What was your first phone? So my my first phone, I, I had ones that I'd used when I'd been working in places, but not my own phone. My first phone that was uh, kind of had my own telephone number was the Nokia 2110, um, which still is one of my most cherished phones. And the reason I loved that phone was um, it had an incredible user interface. Nokia had refined the experience of how you used a mobile phone, um, which sounds so obvious now but back in the day that was a big deal uh, also um, that was a phone that was capable of being connected to a pcmcia card which was a a little kind of card the size of a, a playing card which you could slide into a laptop and that allowed you to use mobile data and you could connect to the internet at 9600 bits per second uh, and it was uh, one of the first phones that was able to allow you to actually send a text message from the keypad uh, and Nokia in those days were, you know, the kings of the road. They they were defining the direction of where mobile phones would go and went on to have a, an absolutely incredible um, 10 years of uh, 
creating innovative designs, sometimes quirky designs, uh, but certainly pushing the, the technology envelope. Yeah, I agree. I'm a big fan of Nokia as well. And I know that they're also spearheading 5G, which we'll get into, I'm sure. Um, yep. But let, you said something interesting there about the data speed for that phone. So what generation of network is it, it was that uh, phone on? And can you, I guess, just emphasize that speed and, and maybe compare it to some of the speeds that we're at today so the audience can understand where, we, where we've come, I guess? Yeah, so um, the first phone I had was the Nokia 2110. and we were just launching mobile data for uh, consumers. Uh, at Vodafone, we'd been offering it previously on our analog network uh, using a technology called TAX, and we had something called a CDLC modem, which allowed you to transmit data at 2,400 bits per second. And note, I'm saying bits per second, not kilobits per second, megabits per second, or gigabits per second, bits per second. The uh, Nokia 2110 allowed you to have speeds of up to 9,600 bits per second. It used a GSM and it used circuit switch data. Um, so it's a world away from the hundreds of megabits per second that I'm able to achieve on a 5G phone these days. And I think if you told a young Ben Wood in 1994 that uh, he'd have 500 megabits per second on his doorstep on a cell phone, um, I wouldn't have believed it and I would have had no idea what we would have used it for. So one of the big questions that I get asked all the time is why on earth do we need 5G? Why do we need all this speed? And uh, I have to say that some of the early work that's been done on 5G uh, with the kind of uh, bragging rights on speed tests, which I am guilty for. I've traveled the world. I've been to Australia, to Spain, to all sorts of places um, to try 5G and had yeah, gigabit speeds on 5G. Um, and that has not been helpful. But when I think about 5G now, I don't think about self-driving cars and robots and all these sorts of things in the future. I actually think about 5G as just being a very necessary upgrade to our existing networks to allow us to do the things that we already do on 4G and on Wi-Fi even better. And there's two pillars to 5G which I really, really like. There's the speed, which is good, but there's also the capacity. And I think the capacity in particular is, is absolutely critical to the future use of mobile networks. and certainly in the kind of COVID era where we've all become much more hooked on higher bandwidth applications, you know, lots of video calling, people expecting a good downlink and uplink. Um, 5G can help with that in congested areas. A perfect example of this, I was lucky enough to go to the Glastonbury Festival last year. In fact, I went three times because uh, I went down there uh, as part of the research to see how they were using 5G at the festival. So I saw it as they were building the towers, once they'd commissioned the towers and then I went to the event itself. And I was there with you know, 200,000 other people in the front of the stage when the big acts were playing and I was still getting a reliable 150 to 200 megabits per second. And how was I able to do that while everybody else around me was struggling to get you know, single digit megabit per second? Well, it's all about the capacity that 5G could offer because the backhaul that was coming out of Glastonbury, the big fat pipe that connected us all to the internet was the same for everybody. But 5G has this incredibly efficient air interface uh, where the connection from your phone to the tower uses 
um, an enhanced version of cellular technology that means that if the guy next to you is on a um, single lane road, you're on a 10 lane motorway, uh, 10, 10 lane highway. So you're getting 10 times the capacity to actually access the network. Because right now with 5G, with non-standalone 5G, which is the current flavor of 5G, what happens after it hits the tower is pretty much the same as what happens for people who are on 4G or 3G. So in a small island like the UK, where you've got lots of people who are very densely populated, um, 5G is going to be essential. So there's been some confusion in the 5G market because of the fact that um, different networks have different amounts of spectrum. And the golden block of spectrum for 5G is to have 100 megahertz of contiguous spectrum, which means it all sits next to each other in the spectrum band. And there's only one company at the moment that has that, which is the 3 UK network. And they started promoting this as what they called a real 5G, which raised a lot of eyebrows in the industry. And actually, subsequently, the uh, advertising uh, regulator said to them, you cannot say that. Uh, some of the others only have, say, 70 megahertz of spectrum or 40 megahertz of spectrum uh, that they can use. So there's been a little bit of confusion around that because in order to get that kind of 10 times performance uh, that I've talked about with 5G versus 4G, um, you need to have that full 100 megahertz of spectrum. Uh, millimeter wave is something separate. So millimeter wave um, is uh, using a different part of the spectrum to go faster. But all of those also still run on the non-standalone network, which is you can think of like the first generation of 5G. Standalone 5G is the next generation of 5G where you not only provide um, new technologies on the air interface from the mobile phone to the tower, but you also do a massive upgrade of the physical infrastructure, which allows you to have much more efficient and, and, and some argue more secure end-to-end -end communication um, through the network as well. Uh, but we don't have any commercially available standalone networks in the world right now, as far as I'm aware. We're very, very lucky here in the UK because all four networks have uh, launched 5G. So there's a, a real race going on. And we're also very lucky geographically because, of course, we don't have the vast expanse of countries like the US where creating an, a national footprint is basically impossible uh, from a financial perspective. But here in the UK, we're a lot of people crammed onto a small island, densely populated, and it means that 5G is a, a very rational uh, investment to make. Um, but I wouldn't lose sight of the fact that it's not just about 5G. Um, one of the things I think I like to think about when I'm talking about 5G is that actually 5G is just the icing on top of a really, really nice 4G cake. So to have a really successful 5G network, you need to have a really good 4G kind of network underlying it because 5G, by virtue of the fact it's new, is only going to be in certain areas. So you can deploy it in the areas where you need it the most. So for example, congested areas, and you can back that up in areas where you don't have as much traffic or congestion with a really good 4G signal. And I can tell you, I regularly get well over 100 megabits per second, sometimes 200 or even 300 megabits per second on 4G LTE. So don't write off the 4G technology right now. Um, it plays a very, very important role. It's definitely like, I feel it now is, is a, a real evolution of, of what's happening. I feel like over the years, it's been, it's kind of um, dwindled the excitement over the new technology of the phones. It's always better camera, um, bigger battery, screen technology. Just, it feels like very gimmicky. A lot of these like sales tactics. Um, 
But this is, a, I feel like, a real overhaul of how we in, interact with with mobile technology on a whole. Um, and I know you mentioned that you know, you know, virtual reality, streaming, and um, autonomous cars, and remote remote surgeries, like those things will come with it. Um, but I think there's like a we're not we weren't not even capable to understand how we're going to be able to engage with this type of speed yet. Yeah, I, 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 I think, think um, it, I think that. Um, People like to have the kind of science fiction vision of where new technology will go. And, and, and uh, I, I, I believe that fundamentally 5G will, uh, uh, at the start, just improve some of the experiences that we already have on 4G and Wi-Fi. It's just about providing more capacity, more bandwidth, and just providing a richer experience. And uh, in, in my 20-plus years in the industry, having started with you know, tiny, tiny amounts of bandwidth, um, I've learned over time that if you give people more bandwidth, they'll find a way of using it. Uh, so, so there's an element of the old kind of build it and they will come. Uh, and, and, and I think that although we will transition to a world where we have, uh, you know, connected 5G VR headsets from companies like XR Space, we will have connected cars and other things that will require lots of bandwidth and low latency and those sorts of things. We shouldn't lose sight of the near-term opportunity that 5G um, delivers. Um, and, uh, I think that 2020 is going to be the breakthrough year for 5g, particularly with the arrival of the uh, 5g iPhone. Uh, for me, that's kind of the starting gate for a lot of consumers who once Apple embraces technology, they tend to be extremely good at marketing it. And given what a prolific device and, and what a kind of pivotal device the iPhone has been, 5G arriving there is going to be um, a very significant milestone for the technology. Right. And then they'll also get credit for for creating it, right? Like how Apple does generally. Well, you know, I, I, I think it always makes me smile that uh, Apple can introduce a technology that other people have been offering for a long time, be it kind of wireless charging or multi-camera or those sorts of things. And people tend to believe that uh, Apple were the guys that uh, kind of invented it. But you do have to give... Uh, them credit for the fact that they are extremely good at articulating the benefits of certain technologies, albeit if they come a little bit late to the market. And I think that Apple have shown that their, their uh, approach of not being the first, but being kind of one of the best at actually introducing a new technology and explaining the benefits of a new technology has paid them significant dividends. So that that's one of the main reasons why I'm super excited to see what Apple do with 5G. And of course, they'll have some stories to hang around it. And I have no doubt that, for example, their content offerings through Apple TV uh, will be an anchor part of that in terms of talking about how using 5G, you can download content quickly and you can get the highest quality. Uh, but but let's let's see what September or October brings. Yeah, definitely. I like to think of Apple as the the penguin on the glacier that pushes the other penguin over over the into the water to see what happens. And then if he's safe, then everyone's jumping in. They're jumping. <laughs> I like that That's analogy. A, That's a good one. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, yeah, another interesting dimension of 5G when we're talking about connectivity in the home is the shift towards using fixed mobile broadband. So using 5G with a... Uh, what they call a CPE device, customer premise equipment. When I was out in Australia, I visited the Optus network and uh, 
they're, 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 you know, Telstra are number one and Optus are always trying to hustle to, to have a new offer to be competitive. And they've come up with the idea, and I think we're going to see this in plenty of other markets, where you use 5G as an alternative to fixed connectivity. Uh, and it's quite interesting because you can draw maps of you know, an, an urban environment or any country, and you can see where the fiber rollout is, and you can see the gaps where there isn't fiber. And a lot of the telcos will know what their fiber deployment plans are going to be and where they're going to get fiber to next. So they can start to draw this kind of clever map of, well, we're going to put fiber here but we're not going to put fiber here. So if we drop 5G into this area, we could essentially go knocking on people's doors and say, you ain't going to get fiber speeds for a long, long time, but we've got 5G here and we can sell you a box that you can put by your window. You can get it to the closest tower that's available and we can give you fantastic, you know, 100 megabit, 200 megabit per second performance um, through uh, the wireless network. Uh, and that's another one of these little business cases that exists for 5G, which isn't in the realms of the kind of science fiction, you know, smart glasses, driving smart cars, all that kind of stuff. This is just a real-time need for people and uh, no better time than right now when, you know, here in the UK, we've been locked down for weeks and weeks and weeks. We're starting to come out of that now, but people have needed to uh, use um, connectivity in whole new ways and push it more to the limit. So, um I'm super excited. I think there's some fantastic opportunities with 5G ahead. Yeah, me too. I'm very excited. But just for good measure and for the audience, is 5G safe? What, what do you, how do you answer the question when someone's asking you about the safety of this new and improved cellular network? So I get asked a lot about the safety around 5G. Um, and let me give you my perspective. Um, of course, um, with any technology, it's impossible to give an absolute 100% cast iron guarantee on its safety because ultimately, you know, this is quite new technology in terms of radio technology. It's been around for, you know, 60, 70, 80 years in terms of the way it's been used. Um, but I've got to tell you, um, I certainly have great confidence in 5G technology and cellular technology more widely. Um, so if you look at the sub-6 5G technology, which is widely used around the world, that uses sub-6 gigahertz spectrum, which is basically um, exactly the same as what we've been using on Wi-Fi for years and years and years. Wi-Fi uses 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz. So for the people who are shouting about the health concerns around 5G, um, I think that there is pretty much no argument um, that can be held up in that area. And uh, you know, these are often people who are making those claims on social media using their Wi-Fi connection on the router that's uh, you know, on, on the shelf on behind the couch that they're doing their kind of keyboard warrior piece from. Um, so I, I, I think that's you know a, a kind of known quantity. It's been used for decades. There've been numerous studies. There's lots of really, really good scientific proof that that is safe technology to use. A, a lightning conductor for health concerns has been the millimeter wave technology, which again is being widely used and but it uses higher frequencies. So it hasn't been used as much for so long. So you're talking about you know, 27 gigahertz upwards 
Um, and that's being deployed in the US. Um, but again, I would say to people, well, you know, there's been lots of studies that have proven that that's a safe technology to use. And furthermore, um, it's a technology that's used in other places as well. So uh, I, I, I think that, uh, uh, Justin, you're a regular traveler and, and you'll be going through airports and standing in those machines where you have to put your hands above your head and the thing kind of whirls around you and it scans you in the airport. Those scanners use millimeter wave and they use a lot more uh, uh, kind of uh, power on millimeter wave than any cell phone is going to use. Uh, and they've been an accepted part of daily life for years now, and there haven't been hasn't been an outcry with regards to health on those. Um, so here's the thing: people that you're always going to get people who are nervous about technology, whether it's the or, or, or progress, whether it's the anti-vaxxers or it's people who are worried about different types of you know, new technology arriving. I think the challenge we've had with 5G is that we live in a world where it's very very easy to amplify conspiracy theory using social media and other things. And therefore, although there have been concerns in the past around the introduction of new technology, you know, even you know, people going on trains in the early days who thought they were going to kind of disintegrate or, you know, should we ban cameras because they might steal your soul when someone takes a photograph? Um, all of these kind of conspiracy theories have emerged over time. Um, and, and, and I feel confident that the, that the testing that's been done for all flavors of 5G so far, gives me a lot of reassurance that it's a safe technology. So which phone am I using for 5G? It could be a case of which phone aren't I using for 5G. So I'm just sitting here looking at my desk and I've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, at least 13 phones sitting on my desk uh, that I can see in sight. And there's others that are buried under all the papers and everything else. So I have tried all the 5G phones from Samsung. I've tried most of the uh, Qualcomm-powered phones, so you know, Oppo, OnePlus, um, Realme. Uh, there's a whole host of guys who are making 5G phones. So I've tried pretty much everything. I'm also particularly in love with my HTC 5G Hub, um, which is, uh, I don't know whether you're familiar with that product, but it's a little box which uh, is like a kind of cell phone or like a tiny little TV uh, a box um, which has a, an Ethernet port in the back of it as well. Uh, I did a lot of work with the, uh, the the Netgear modem in the early days uh, in terms of using that. Um, so um, I have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to 5G devices. And I have to be honest with you, they pretty much all perform about the same. You know, I always think it's very, very difficult to pinpoint the actual performance of the device unless you've got it in a lab and you've got it kind of all wired up and I don't have those facilities. So, you know, I might see differences of 50 megabits per second or you know, between different devices, but that could be down to who else is on the network at the same time as me. It could be how I'm holding the phone or where I'm standing or various other things. Um, so on balance, um, I've used lots of devices and they all work well. Right now, today, uh, I always have two SIMs with me, so I'm always using two phones. One of those SIMs is in an iPhone 11 Pro Max, and the other one is actually in the Galaxy Fold um, because uh, I haven't used the Galaxy Fold for a little while, and uh, I'm thinking a bit more about where the foldables are going right now. Uh, I've used the Z Flip, uh, but I've gone back to the Fold. They've done some good software updates on that device, and... There's lots of rumors circulating that there could be some more products coming from Samsung before the end of the year. So I thought I ought to get match fit on 
what it's like to use a foldable. So that that's what's in my hand right now. I've always wanted to try the Galaxy Fold and go back to folding phones. So that's really exciting that you get to to play with that and with all the other devices that you get to to test out. I'm sure that adds to your insight into how all these devices work and and uh, jumping onto the new 5G network. What is something that's exciting you today? What's something that when you get up, you're you're excited to work on and think about? I'm super excited. We have uh, CCS Insight. Um, we have our annual predictions event, and this has become a real signature event for the industry uh, where we put all of our great brains in the business together and uh, gaze into the technology crystal ball and try and decide how we think the world will look. Um, and that's an event that we've been doing for over 10 years. We usually do it as a big event at a, a lovely venue in London somewhere. Um, but of course, in the current climate, we've had to go virtual. So we are really, really excited this year that uh, October week of October 5th, we'll be having our predictions event, which will be a predictions week. And we will be uh, having daily sessions, an hour to an hour and a half per day, looking at different topic areas with a short keynote presentation talking about the key predictions from that area. And obviously, I'll be looking at the kind of connected endpoint, be it kind of a mixture of hardware and software and apps and services. But we've got an enterprise stream. We've got a connectivity stream. Uh, we'll have um, a stream looking at kind of the, the new world that we live in as well. Uh, and then we're going to have some big hitter speakers who I can't reveal right now, but some big names that you will recognize. Um, and I think it's going to be great. Um, and I think, you know, we, I, I'm in an industry that con constantly innovates and we feel as a business, we need to innovate too. And, uh, we're super excited to have a new format. So watch this space for more news on that. Yeah. How would people find out about that actually? So all they need to do is go to ccsinsight.com forward slash events, and they can find out about our predictions event. We, uh, we're only teasing the details right now, but there's going to be a lot more coming out over the next few weeks or follow me on Twitter at Ben Wood. So everyone should follow um, Ben Wood for everything related to phones. Definitely. He's the expert in hardware. And obviously he knows what he's talking about when it comes to the cellular background of it, the 5G network, 4G networks. Um, it's a really a pleasure to talk to him and to have him on the show. We are now going to fly to California to speak to Marco, an Italian with a PhD in economics from Princeton. I'll let him introduce himself a bit more. And uh, his insight, I, I really also enjoy um, on the future for 5G and what it means for for him with an economist perspective. So my name is Marco Annunziata and uh, I'm an economist, but an economist with a lot of expertise uh, in technology. I've been for about seven years, I was at General Electric as the chief economist and the head of business innovation strategy. I left G two years ago, and now I work as a consultant on economics, technology, innovation strategy, and I run a little podcast of my own with a former colleague of mine, the M4 Edge podcast, and this is what I am. So my guests have all been expressing excitement in certain sectors of 5G and what the future is of 5G looks for them. Um, what's something that is exciting you about 5G and the future of cellular technology? 
So one thing that's been exciting for me for a while is a lot of what is going on in the technology world and in the world of learning to try to give people at all levels better skills, right? It, it, has, it is connected to 5G because 5G also relates to issues of automation and to the widespread fears of massive job losses because of robots, because of artificial intelligence. And so a lot of my interest is what can we do in universities, schools, in the world of learning and also training on the jobs to help people acquire the right skills more quickly and to keep their skills up so that we can end up with better jobs rather than with no jobs. This seems to be a very optimistic and positive message uh, looking forward. And I, I agree with what you're saying completely. But there are those who have some some hesitancy and, and are skeptical of the future for this technology. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I can give you a few thoughts. Uh, first of all, I think the concerns that uh, we hear all around us that uh, the majority of jobs are going to be automated away, I think those concerns uh, at this stage certainly are entirely premature. I think uh, they are dangerous also because they're moving away, they're moving us away from uh, realizing that a lot of the skills that we have today are still extremely valuable. Manufacturing skills, factory floor skills, and so I think what the world of the future will look like, Justin, is a world where, uh, first of all, we move towards uh, lifelong learning. This is already happening, but essentially because of the changes in technology and the economy, you move away from the traditional world that I certainly grew up in, which was you study up to a certain point. And I have to confess, I studied for as long as I possibly could to postpone the inevitability of working. And then you start working and, and, and that's it. Then you learn a few things on the job, but you just acquire experience by putting in practice the things you learned in school. And instead, I think in the new world, you will move back and forth. As you are working, you will take a lot more of online courses. Your company will deliver more training to you digitally. You will take breaks during your working periods and go off for two weeks, two months, six months, and take a different learning course and acquire new skills. So it will be a very different world where you keep learning throughout your lifetime in parallel with uh, your working career, which I think is going to be extremely satisfying, extremely exciting. It will also give people the possibility of uh, switching uh, careers, switching jobs uh, much more frequently than we do today. Now, this will also be not just exciting, but also necessary because as technological disruption accelerates, it will be more frequent for jobs or specific job descriptions to become obsolete for entire industries to be disrupted. So many of us will need to reskill and retool as we go along. But uh, learning and learning how to do new things is fun. So I think it's going to be an exciting prospect. And most importantly, I think it will give most people the opportunity to remain productive and actually to become increasingly productive and increasingly satisfied over the course of their careers. So I have a much more positive view of what the future of work looks like compared to the dystopian concerns we hear very often in the media. We're three for three for optimistic views uh, and with no controversy. Would, so those of you on the fence, right? I think you should order your 5G phone now. Uh, Marco, what does 5G mean for you? 
5G is a natural evolution of the other generation of internet-based communication systems that we have had so far. So ever since I refer immediately to smartphones because it's something that people immediately think of. But I tell them, uh, think of how quickly we have moved from a world where we only had landlines to when we could make phone calls to when we could exchange text messages to now when smartphones already have become the platform for a lot of the things we do in our personal lives. And at the same time, a lot of uh, the devices we encounter, the alarm system in our homes are thermal thermostats, everything starts communicating wirelessly. Then I say, okay, 5G is the next evolution in this process, but it's actually in many ways a qualitative jump because it's going to make this kind of wireless communication a lot faster. So everything that is based on this wireless communication system is going to have a faster reaction. So it's going to have less latency. The speed is going to be faster, but it's also going to be more consistent. And it's also a system that tries to get the best of both worlds in the sense that uh, so far we've had a little bit of a trade-off between wireless technologies that allow you to communicate in a powerful way over long distances, but then break down in the last mile, so to speak, because they have difficulties crossing the walls of buildings. And the 5G, by operating through different uh, spectrums, so different frequency bands and operating through a much denser network of repeating stations and transmitters will get the best of both worlds. So it will give us the power and speed of long frequency communication, of long distance communication, while at the same time creating a a very dense network that allows you to benefit of the same speed of communication, whether you're on the road, whether you're traveling, whether you're standing still, whether you're getting in and out of a building. So it's both a natural evolution of the kind of wireless communication we've already become used to, but at the same time, a quantum leap, because in terms of the reliability and the speed of reaction is going to be way, way ahead of what we're used to now. I am worried by some of what I see going on around us in terms of political and geopolitical disruptions. And I think there is something there that could throw a wrench in the works and really disrupt or derail the kind of future that you are outlining. But if we eliminate or if we are more optimistic on that front, so if we don't mess it up from a political management standpoint, I think you are exactly correct. And let me also take take one step back and put it as follows. I've been, as an economist, I've been very, very interested in the debate you have had over the last several years, where a number of people who are very pessimistic, especially economists, I don't know how many economists you've had the misfortune to come across, but we tend to be on average a pretty 
pessimistic bunch, hence the, the dismal science label. But there have been many, many economists taking a very grim view of technology and essentially making the following argument and saying, well, you know, you guys who work in technology, you are always so excited about innovation, but the kind of innovation that is coming out now is rubbish. It's social media, it's video games, it's nothing than entertainment and noise. It is in no way similar to the innovation that we saw during the Industrial Revolution, like with the steam engine and electricity and air travel. Those were really transformational for our quality of life, whereas the stuff that the technologies are coming up with now is useless. And if you don't believe me, this is what these economists say, if you don't believe me, just look at the productivity statistics. Productivity growth is abysmal, extremely slow, and that shows you that uh, this kind of innovation is useless. And I find those arguments uh, rubbish for several reasons. One is, uh, as you have noted, we are already today in a world where technology is making our lives better in many ways at a lower cost. The second reason why I think that argument is rubbish is that it misses the fact that uh, these innovations, especially innovations we see in the industrial field, take quite a bit of time to be adopted and to be adopted at scale. So there is a significant lag between the time when you came up with very exciting new innovations and the time when these new innovations actually show up in the statistics on productivity. And, and finally, the last comment on this, Justin, is the... Uh, because a lot of these things, uh, these new innovations improve the quality of our life, uh, it's, uh, the quality of our life is not always captured in the prices and the official statistics. So I think uh, if we just look, you know, because if you think of what is productivity, productivity is you take the value of the entire amount of stuff and services which is produced in the country over the course of a year, you divide it by the number of uh, man hours used to produce it and you say hey here is the productivity but if there is a lot of value you're getting in the world today which is either not measured or it's mispriced because it's become too cheap and you don't adjust to it don't adjust for it you are going to underestimate the value for society that is being produced and you will therefore underestimate productivity and i think there is a lot of this which is going on today in technology marketing, as well as, or in specifically cell phone marketing, there's always another camera, a new screen technology, a larger screen, a smaller screen, a flipping screen. There's all these n new changes every year that makes us buy new phones. Um, but they're all, they seem to me a bit gimmicky and more so just to sell a, a packaged phone that is pretty much similar to the previous model. Um, but 5G seems to be like a, a real change, a real thing to be touted for people to buy this new phone because this is the newest technology and it actually will make a difference on how you use the internet. Yeah, so I think you're exactly right, Justin. I'll make one, uh, one addition, which is uh, I think a lot of what is uh, very gimmicky is often not so much in the innovation itself, but in the way we talk about it. So the hype about innovation is just extraordinary. And uh, 
because the hype is so extreme, then it makes our reactions to the actual pitfalls of technology even more extreme. I'll give you one example. The, there is a lot of uh, hype about uh, how artificial intelligence has already brought us into the world of uh, voice recognition and text recognition where computers can write novels. And you say, okay, that's that's all very great. But the, uh, the other day I got an email from uh, somebody I know here in San Francisco telling me, you know, I'm very disappointed to let you know that unfortunately I, I have just been furloughed by my company so I now have zero wage. I have no benefits, no health benefits. And of course, the cost of living in San Francisco is still very high. So I don't know for how long I will be able to live in the city. Now, I get this on, on my Gmail account and uh, the Gmail artificial intelligence very helpfully at the bottom gives you some suggestions for quick responses. And to this email of this person saying, I've just been furloughed, I've lost my job. But the top suggestion that the Gmail en- artificial intelligence engine gives me is, Congratulations. So, you know, I, I look at that and I say, well, you know, clearly you might be artificial, but you're not very intelligent. And if I, if I put it against the hype that I hear all the time about artificial intelligence, my reaction is going to, to be, well, we, we are really nowhere. So my reaction is going to be to be dismissive, to minimize the progress that we have actually been making in artificial intelligence, which in other ways is impressive. So I think you're number one, you're absolutely right that uh, there is uh, a lot of uh, gimmicky stuff around us. There is a lot of uh, hype, a lot of unwarranted exaggeration and uh, unwarranted excitement. Uh, You're also Entirely, entirely correct in saying that this can have a negative impact in two ways. One is the one I just mentioned. So you react to the hype by being even more disappointed with the reality, and then you dismiss it. And then if you are running a company, for example, you say, well, there's no way I'm bringing artificial intelligence into my company if it can't even help me respond to a simple email like this. The other side is the reaction to the dystopian concerns. So the fact that uh, there is a technology always creates an enormous amount of fear. We have always seen it throughout history. And again, as I was mentioning earlier, over the last several years, we've seen countless scare stories and uh, scare uh, pseudoscientific academic studies telling us that we are about to become all unemployed because of technology. That creates resistance. It creates resistance on the part of people. So the number of people become more reluctant to adopt technologies. And a number of policy leaders become worried about the consequences and push against the technology. And you see some policymakers arguing that, yeah, then maybe it is a good idea to throw sand in the wheels and slow down technological progress so we don't have to face these supposed problems. So these... um, tells me that you're exactly right. The way we react to it can impact in a negative way the speed of adoption. Besides this, we should also keep in mind that in some cases, the speed of adoption already encounters a number of obstacles on its own. So I've looked at a lot of these things in the context of industry and the world of manufacturing and other enterprises. And there, what you see is the following in terms of the, um, in terms of the barriers to adoption. The first one is uh, uncertainty. So if you are running a company and you are presented with all these brilliant innovations, you have to try to understand which ones are going to be helpful to you. 
and decide how they can help your bottom line. Then you have to come up with some calculation of the potential return for financial return from this technology, which is very uncertain, and set it aside the money you have to spend to invest to adopt a new technology. Then you realize, as we've seen in the past, that once you bring in a new technology, whether it's getting computers into your company as back in the, in the first wave of the information technology revolution, or whether it's bringing in the 3D printing or robots or artificial intelligence, you also need to change the way you are organizing the work. Then you're going to find out that some of your workers don't have the right skills. So you have to reskill them and you have to get some new people in. Then you have to worry about whether your suppliers or your, and your customers are adopting similar systems. So if you are using an artificial intelligence management system for your own internal production and supply chain management, can your system talk to the same systems implemented by your partners, your suppliers, and your retailers. So there are a lot of issues that are very practical and that prop up and that naturally slow down the adoption already. And I think to go back to your original question, can we cut through this uncertainty and look forward? I think we can, and I think we can do it in several ways. The first one is we look backwards and we see that throughout history, whenever major technological innovations have come on the stage, they have eventually led to more and better jobs and a better standard of living. The second thing is we can look at the micro examples of the impact that some of these technologies have. And you can see in things like 3D printing, for example, you can see the benefits. You can see, okay, here is a company, they bring in 3D printing. And I think in the case of General Electric, for example, building... Uh, engines for airplanes, so very complicated machinery. It goes on airplanes, so you want the stuff to be light so you consume less fuel. And you get immediate sample cases saying, yeah, okay, with 3D printing, I can reduce the weight of this specific part by 80%. Excellent. That's a very clear measure of what the impact is. You can say, I had this component for a jet engine that I used to create by assembling a hundred different parts. Now I can do it assembling just 10 different parts. Again, that's a major simplification, major benefit. The third way you can do it is by looking forward, looking forward with your imagination and saying, okay, this is what we can do. What will the world look like if these kind of benefits and changes can be scaled across a city, across a factory, across an industrial system. And this is something that is very important uh, going back to the 5G issue in trying to figure out what kind of benefit can 5G technology give us uh, is exactly this imagination effort to say, okay, once it's in place and once uh, the changes it can enable are widespread, how does the world look? How different is it going to be? So then Marco and I go on, off on a tangent where I draw some crazy parallel that I took from econom uh, economics class I had in, in, in university about how expected inflation really affected inflation moving forward and how the skeptical views are actually affecting the progress of this new technology of 5G. 
And first of all, I would like to reassure you that your knowledge of economics remains current. So even today, central bankers are constantly talking about the importance of inflation expectations. And you're absolutely right. It actually creates an interesting parallel with technology because in the case of inflation the argument is well you know if you are convinced that inflation is going to be high so you expect to have to pay a lot more for everything you buy tomorrow then if you're a worker you're going to start asking for much bigger wage increases and if you are a shopkeeper or a producer you will immediately increase the prices of the stuff that you sell because you want to make money in advance of paying more for the stuff you buy. And so everybody does that and the prices go up because expectation of prices are high. And the same thing, I think you're, you're right, it's, it makes a very interesting uh, parallel with, uh, with technology because uh, I think in two respects, one is... Uh, if you are willing, if you're thinking of jumping into the adoption of 5G technology, for example, would you rush to buy a new smartphone that allows you to have access to 5G technology? Would you buy pay or pay more to have a 5G connection into your house? It partly depends on your expectation of what this technology can deliver. So if you expect that you're going to be able to have a much better experience playing video games at home, if you expect that uh, the cities will uh, come up with uh, brilliant plans for urban mobility that you can only participate in if you have the right smartphone, you will jump in and you will do it. So your expectation that the technology will be beneficial and that it will move fast will influence your behavior. And uh, in turn, your behavior is uh, you're one of many if uh, everybody thinks that uh, the technology will spread fast and will bring benefits, everybody will act and jump on the bandwagon sooner. And this in itself will accelerate the development of the technology. So there is definitely some of that at, at play. In, within this system, there is also the, as you point out, the concern about the risks of this technology and i think i think the two are related and i think interestingly we can see it even now in the often in the public discussion on uh, the covid-19 pandemic there is sometimes a temptation when you analyze a phenomenon to focus only on one side of the balance sheet, so to speak, only on one aspect. You focus on the risk and you say, oh, what is the risk? Is the risk acceptable or not? Or what is the benefit? Is the benefit gigantic or not? Whereas uh, in most of our decisions, uh, we instinctively factor in the risk and the benefit, right? So in the case of uh, 5G, I think what's going to happen is uh, people will have some concerns uh, that the uh, you will be told, you will read on social media that, well, this is a wireless technology, sends uh, signals that move at different frequencies. Uh, they can go through walls, so they can probably go through your bones, they can go through your brain, who knows what they will do to you. Part of it, as you were suggesting, is uh, we get more worried because we don't have enough information. We don't, At this stage, I don't think we have enough data to either reassure us or uh, get us uh, to be really seriously worried for good scientific reasons. We can say that, well, we've had uh, so far very little evidence that uh, the existing wireless technologies are actually having massive negative health effects. 
with the exception, I would say, of spending too much time on social media. <laughs> but, but so to, to this extent, I would say, can podcasts like yours help people understand better what this technology is, scale back their fears, and therefore be more willing to jump in? I think absolutely yes. I also think as people look at the, the, the concerns about health, but they also look, again, thanks to podcasts like yours, they look at the potential benefits. They will start thinking, okay, I have some concerns, but I haven't really seen any convincing data that this new technology is bad for my health. On the other hand, uh, should I keep reading and hearing about these potential use cases that actually sound like, quite attractive? And so even any one of us will start doing this mental balance of risks and benefits and start saying, well, you know, the risks sound very uncertain, very murky and not too scary. And the benefits sound quite attractive and actually quite believable. So yes, I'm going to jump in. So I think creating more information on this and helping people make a more informed assessment of potential risks and the potential benefits, I think is something that will accelerate the adoption of the technology. I'm happy to be here part of the solution and to educate those who just don't know more or who want to know more about 5G, I guess, rather. Um, what's something that I guess just worries you the most? So most worried about, I, I am genuinely worried about the cybersecurity aspect because uh, as we entrust our critical infrastructure to a technology like 5G, it becomes by definition more vulnerable. We've already seen various cases of cyber attacks around the world. So there is a, a, there is a very big concern on my side that at some point, if we're not careful enough, we will have a major attack on critical infrastructure in one of the major countries that creates spectacular economic damage. So that is one, one big concern. The other concern I have, Justin, is that the, uh, as is always the case with these new technologies, that as we start adopting it, we are unable to see through all the possible implications and all the things that could go wrong and that we end up in situations where some of the uh, unwanted side effects manifest themselves before we, before we can actually realize what we are doing. So I'm a little bit worried of our ability to think through the, uh, the implications of how we use the technology or even jumping in before the technology is robust enough to withstand all the demands we're going to make on it. I guess this is where the inner pessimism of The Economist comes out. So, shed some, some optimism. Potential use cases I'm most excited about are in the world of urban mobility and energy grids. If you start with urban mobility, there are a number of interesting startup companies that have already started working on figuring out how can we improve the way that people move around our cities. You know, we've interviewed some of these companies on, on my podcast. One that jumps to mind is Waycare, which is an Israel-based company. But the CEO, Shai Suzanne, is very excited and he says, look, what we're doing already 
ready with uh, our company, our software, is create a situation where you can have information jumping around from uh, taxi systems, ambulance systems, uh, cars, GPS, uh, everything, all the sort of information you have in a city which allows you to not only manage and redirect traffic in a more efficient way by changing the timing of streetlights, but it also allows, for example, city authorities to pre-deploy emergency services like fire trucks or ambulances in areas where there is a predicted high risk of traffic accidents so that you have a faster response to emergency. Then if you think of the ability to avoid traffic accidents, reduce the number of traffic accidents, increase the speed with which people can be rescued after traffic accidents and therefore save lives, reduce pollution, improve the quality of life by reducing commuting times. These are extraordinarily important benefits for our daily lives. And having a technology like 5G, which will allow something like this to happen at a much fast, in a much faster way through, will give everybody, all these systems, the ability to respond much more quickly to changing circumstances in the ground, I think will massively enhance these benefits and can potentially transform our experience of living in big cities, whether it's in New York or London or Tel Aviv. And uh, so that, that's one case. The, the other area where I think we will reap massive benefits uh, is the entire energy ecosystem, where uh, think of the, the background, where we are concerned about climate change, we are concerned about pollution, we are concerned about the fact that we are producing an enormous amount of energy, consuming an enormous amount of energy, and we are not doing either the production or the consumption in a particularly efficient way. If you want to change this, you start by saying, well, okay, let's have more energy generation through renewables, solar panels, uh, and wind farms, uh, which can be spread in different areas. Um, then you say, okay, but then the, the way you create efficiency is by having uh, every single piece of equipment in the energy network, whether it's your dishwasher, your washing machine, the solar power generation plants, uh, being all connected, being able to talk to each other, being uh, connected to intelligent systems that allow you to predict when demand for energy is going to spike. It allows you to realize when is the best moment to draw power from a wind farm or a solar power plant and when instead you should be using some of the fossil fuels plant. It allows you to decide to some extent when you should ramp up electricity consumption or whether it's in a factory or in a household because it's a moment when overall demand is low or there is a surplus of electricity being produced through renewables. So it's a good time if you have to run your washing machine or your dishwasher. This uh, is a system of the future. It's an energy system of the future that could be a lot more efficient than we have today, it could be a lot cheaper, and it could be a lot more friendly to the environment. And have you, have you had an experience where you think 5G actually could um, have made a difference in how you use uh, technology? takes us back to the uh, topic I was mentioning at the beginning, which is the issue of uh, 
the training and the skills that uh, we as workers uh, can uh, acquire. And uh, I remember it was, there was a couple of years ago when I was looking uh, at some of these technologies, and this is using, uh, so let me take one step back, but the, the underlying problem is the concern that uh, with the technology moving so fast, uh, workers can keep up. But then technology, of course, also gives you the solution. So something that is, has been developed over the last several years is different forms of wearable technologies like glasses, the better versions of the traditional, the original Google glasses or visors that, that a worker on a factory floor can wear so that if you have, for example, to uh, repair a complicated piece of machinery within a factory environment, uh, think of something like a gas turbine or a jet engine put down for, for repair. And uh, you might or might not have all the knowledge and all the skills required to do this. However, with uh, technology, what you can have is a wearable device which in real time will be able to show you superimposed on this machine a diagram of what the inside looks like and will be able to uh, allow you to open the machine. It will guide you through the steps to diagnose what the problem is and then the steps for how to repair this. And uh, I was trying out one of these systems in a factory environment uh, some time ago, and uh, it was extremely impressive. I was very excited because uh, as an economist, I'm completely inept at any kind of technical repair or anything that I have to do with my own hands. I can barely replace a light bulb. So I was very excited at the idea that this is, as a trial, this technology was would drive me through the steps to repair a complicated piece of industrial equipment. But then, of course, <laughs> the thing froze on me because it wasn't able to pull out the information, give me in real time the information, both on the diagnostics on the machines and the instructions on if this is the problem, what do you do? And that was because because the underlying data transmission within the factory environment had slowed down massively because, as you said before, without having a, an infrastructure system that has the right speed and the right capacity, you can't have the conditions for having this. So it's an anecdote. This was a very personal anecdote because I was standing there very excited. Okay, this is this enormous technology that could turn even me into a skilled, highly skilled factory floor worker and uh, just fizzled out and failed miserably because the underlying data infrastructure wasn't strong enough. So that to me really brings home the, the tantalizing value of what the 5G can do and why we need it. As, as an economist, I'm always very, very cognizant of the fact that it might be better for me to find a different job at some point. <laughs> this is a story that I, I feel very strongly about. <laughs> the future of factory workers is looking more and more sci-fi. And uh, I, I don't ever see... Um, a completely automated system in, in all those sectors. Like you say, I think it'll be a kind of integration of human power, brain power mixed with these like smart devices that can guide, um, you know, a more efficient workflow. Um, I guess just what are some closing remarks for the audience about 5G? What, what would you like to say to them? So I guess my last words of wisdom are, this is a technology where it's actually partly because it's, uh, it's familiar in some ways. 
it's surprisingly easy to underestimate how powerful and beneficial this shift can be. So there we have it. The economist Marco shedding some knowledge for all of us. His insight is second to none. I really do appreciate him having him on the show. It's it's great to see um, such an in-depth uh, perception of how 5G can affect us, you know, and beyond the speed and to learn more about the Internet of Things and how wearable technology can change the future of like high skilled jobs such as like um, aircraft and engineering uh, engineers. So last up, we have Dave Johnson. Dave Johnson's also in the West Coast in California. And um, let's hear let's hear a little bit about him and, and what he has to say about 5G. So I'm a tech journalist. I actually have been doing this for more years than I care to recount. I actually graduated from college with a degree in aerospace engineering. And I've aside from flying satellites in the Air Force for a few years, I really haven't used that. I decided I wanted to write. So I got out of the Air Force and I became a writer. I was writing for magazines back when paper existed and and transitioned over to the web. And so, you know, these days I write for Business Insider and Forbes and uh, How To Geek and IGN. And I think that the 5G story that you saw was probably the How To Geek story, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And aeronautics, uh, that's a big jump to go from from uh, Air Force to a tech journalist. And maybe it's not that big of a jump, but what was the inspiration there? Or well, I was kind of doing it as a hobby. So I was in the Air Force and uh, I was in Space Command back before it was cool to talk about Space Command. And I was flying satellites and doing sat launch operations and things like that. And on the side, I was writing for PC magazines. And I really, really enjoyed that. But I didn't envision it as something you could actually do as a career somehow. And then I met somebody that would become my best friend. He was uh, uh, also a tech journalist. And in fact, we, at the time, we were writing for Computer Shopper magazine. If if you have even heard of Computer Shopper, you go back as far as I do. But in any event, the editor had sent us a note and they said, hey, you guys are in the same zip code. You might want to get to know each other. And, and we hit it off like brothers. And he was a full-time writer. And I was like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So that's when I decided to get out of the Air Force and just do it full-time. So I know because you're writing for the the magazines and everyone knows you as this tech journalist and you've written about 5G, you must get the question of what exactly is 5G? So let's answer that question. What is 5G? So I, I'm going to caveat this by saying I come at 5G as a tech journalist, not as, and you know, I do have an engineering background, but I'm not a 5G engineer. And I've gotten so much pushback from some of the articles I've written about 5G online from people saying, show me your credentials. It was like, well, that's not how journalism works. You don't have to be a credentialed PhD in the topic to write about it. That's what the purpose of doing interviews and talking to other experts is. But mm -hmm. nonetheless, you know, I, I find 5G fascinating because every 10 years or so, the telecom industry updates the underlying wireless technology. 
that drives all of our cell phones and mobile devices. You know, we've had the evolution to 3G, to 4G, to 5G and LTE. And it's been about 10 years or so since the move to LTE. So it's time for a new technology. And 5G is dramatically different, like uh, one to two orders of magnitude faster than what people experience now with their existing cell phone technology. And it's even though that's impressive, a lot of people say, well, I don't need faster wireless technology. I can already watch YouTube clips on my phone when I'm on the bus or, or whatever. And that's probably true. But 5G does have consumer benefits. But really, the main thrust, I think, of 5G is that it has industrial applications. It's really going to drive the Internet of Things and the connected devices that is going to reflect what society is going to look like in 10 years. You know, this is where we're going is all of the the connected tech and Internet of Things, self-driving cars, uh, automated factories, all of this sort of thing. And that's what 5G is really for. Yeah, I agree completely. And yeah, those use cases, another ones that keep popping up are virtual reality streaming, uh, autonomous Mm -hmm. cars, like you mentioned, remote surgery. Um, Is there a particular use case that you're most excited about? Well, I have to say that I, and this is maybe a little geeky because it isn't the first thing that pops to mind for people, but I am really in love with the idea of smart buildings and smart cities. And I, I, I just think that there is so much to be gained from having facilities that are aware of their environment and can temperature control and have built-in security and all of those kinds of advantages that right now kind of a lot of facilities come at hodgepodge you know i've i've worked in buildings that have smart temperature control for example but it's an add-on and it's not fully integrated and we in the future we can have a scenario where we can target environmental controls just to very specific rooms where people happen to be working and it can be completely automated and save enormous amounts of money and be much cleaner for the environment so that that's kind of that's one of the things that I really like but also um, the the kid who grew up watching Watching Minority Report really wants to have self-driving cars too. Are you already in the 5G world? Do you have a 5G cellular device? Right now, I'm very anxious for 5G, but mm-hmm. personally, I'm I'm an iPhone guy, so I have an, an iPhone 11 Super Pro Max or whatever the, the newest one is called. And I'm going to, you know, probably have to stick with that one for a couple of years. And Apple has always been slow on the uptake with moving to the newest wireless technology. So I don't know when 5G is going to show up in a new iPhone. So it could be a while before I actually have a device that day to day I'll be able to take advantage of it. I think behind the scenes, there's probably one thing that's going to be a very transformational change for consumers that they won't even be aware of. And that is, as 5G becomes more pervasive, we're going to see more machine learning and AI-enabled applications that are going to do interesting things for you that previously the bandwidth didn't exist to make that happen. So apps will get better, smarter, more customized, more personalized, and it will change the way those apps work. But you won't necessarily know why that's happening. You'll just know you're having a better experience. I'm ready for the better experience. I'm ready for the smart technology. 
I'm ready for the Internet of Things. What what would you have to say to those who are maybe on the fence about being ready for this 5G world? The people who are trying to think rationally about it and are looking for information about 5G. What would you say to them? With regards to all of the, the health risks and conspiracy theories regarding 5G, I just want to say currently there are no known adverse health effects that have been found through scientific studies or through experience with 5G and older versions of wireless technology. We can assume it's safe and there is really, really good evidence just from all of this technology having been used and existed in the world for a number of years that it is demonstrably safe. So I wouldn't worry about that. I think the real question becomes, do you move to a 5G device? And here it gets back to what we were talking about earlier, which is basically I wouldn't go looking for a device specifically because it has 5G. I would buy the device I want because it has the features, the form factor, the usability. And if it has 5G, great. And you'll get to take advantage of that. If it doesn't have 5G, well, that's fine because the next device you buy after that will have 5G. You'll get it. I just don't think that it's going to like rewrite your life and make your life a phenomenally better experience today or tomorrow. It's something that's going to take a few years. So I don't think it's a selling point in devices today, if that makes sense. So it's a long one, and I've learned a lot about 5G and the Internet of Things and the future of how it's going to affect us with our mobile phones and with the future of AI and factories and and the job force overall. And um, I, I still remain optimistic. I think everyone, all the guests were optimistic. I did reach out to more pessimistic people that just didn't want to come on the show which kind of tells me more about like their perspective. And I'm sure I'm going to get like hate mail now. I'm like, I would have came on your show. But I think the facts speak for themselves. These guys are all super reputable and have, you know, enough experience with this, the cellular phone market and technology to kind of give us a good picture of what, what 5G is and the future for 5G. So I just want to thank everyone for listening hour and a half into this at the moment. And um, I look forward to the next episode. Don't forget to check out Blaze Explains. And um, I'll see you guys later. Oh, and please, you know, subscribe, like, leave feedback, leave comments, do all that thing, because it really helps out with us at the podcast rankings. The whole point is just to show this as many people who wouldn't get any value out of it. Um, share it to your friends. Reach out to me. Let me know what you like, what you dislike. I really appreciate the listen. So thank you, everyone, again, for listening. And again, I'll say this again. I will see you next week. Ta-ta. Thank you.
Thank you.